out there. Good day, whatever time of day it might be where you're listening to I Took a Right, right turn. turn. Here we are again. And guess what? We have a special thing for you today. That's right. The FBI is in the house. Yes, yes. Robert and Rosalie have brought in two very good friends of ours who are ex-FBI agents, and we want to talk to them about FBI stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah, right, right. So we have Mike and Tracy with us. All right, you two. Uh, what years did you serve in the FBI? These people want to know. Well, I came I came into the FBI in 1987. Um, in fact, my class number was 875. Uh, if there's anybody out there who's in, who's ever in the FBI, that's the first thing they're going to ask me. Oh yeah, you were a, you were an agent. What your what's your class number? Ah, that, ah, that way we keep you straight. Yeah, there's no way to, to fake that. So I was in '875, and um, I came that right after January in 1987 is when I was. But it, it follows the federal budget year, so there were four other classes before 1987. That's how that kind of works. How about you, Tracy? I came in in 1988 and retired in 2010. Hmm. All right. Why? Why the FBI? We have conflicting stories on this. Oh, okay, so tell me why you went to the FBI. Both of them, I hope, humorous. Um, <laughs> Michael came, was a uh, city police officer, and I taught high school. He came home one day and said, it's time to start filling out federal law enforcement job applications. So I jumped in and started helping him with that. And sneaky as he is... Uh, as we would find these jobs that he was interested in to uh, apply, he would start bugging me, you need to apply for this too, we'll do this together. And the reality is that I was not overwhelmed with any of them until he got to the FBI application and I thought, I can do this. And I started researching the FBI and what they did and I thought, I can do this. And... He has a different version of the story. As I recall, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, applied to the FBI. We applied at the same time. Um, I was chosen first, and I think probably because of my background in, uh, as a cop. And uh, I recall coming home after new agents training and saying, you know, this is really interesting. And, I, and Tracy saying, well, if you can do it, it can't be that hard. <laughs> And so, <laughs> so I'll do it too. But that's again, again, those are our stories, and I'm sticking with mine. <laughs> okay, all right. And what capacity did you serve, Mike? Well, I, I was an FBI agent who almost I did. I think I did one criminal case in my entire career. Right when I came in, I did one um, interstate transportation of a stolen property case, and then I went to work in the on the squad that did counterintelligence, counterterrorism. Back in the days when no one cared about counterintelligence and counterterrorism, we were at the back of the bus. So I spent, until 9-11, I spent my whole career kind of in a, in a forgotten area of the FBI. I worked uh, general criminal matters and uh, my entire career. I had a couple of administrative jobs um, thrown in uh, my career, but for the most part, general criminal means I worked... Um, almost every criminal violation. I was not assigned to drugs and narcotics. I mostly worked uh, bank robberies, fugitives, 
Uh, I've worked extensively in crimes against children, kitty porn on the internet. I worked um, bank frauds, mail frauds, wire frauds, uh, all forms of uh, white collar crime and some public corruption. Wow, you both have got some great experience. But I don't think the people want to just hear about your experience. No, no. Uh, what was your impression of the FBI when you worked with them? You know, that's interesting. Honestly, it is like being in the Boy Scouts on steroids. Well, that was how we lived. Um, one of the things that you never did in the FBI is you never spoke about politics. Agents never spoke to each other about their politics. I don't think, I think maybe two people in the FBI could tell you what mine were when I was there. Um, it just wasn't done. And particularly in my field, which was counterterrorism, counterintelligence, because I never wanted anybody to believe that I was doing what I was doing for political reasons. It was only because it was the right thing to do. Um, agents have a saying, you know, I'm a witness to the truth. I will always tell the truth. And I once left $20 on my desk for two weeks once to see what would happen. Nothing. Nobody touched it. Not even the char force. I mean, they had top secret clearances too. They had to. But that's how it was there when we worked there. And that's how we lived and that's what we believed. Um, obviously, recently, we've, we've had a terrible uh, awakening. But at the time, I will tell you, I never knew an FBI agent that willfully went outside the rules. A few of them wandered outside, stumbled outside, but um, honestly, I I worked in counterintelligence where in my day you were pretty much allowed to do whatever you wanted, but nobody did. Nobody played by the rules. Well, so it's not like the TV shows we see today. <laughs> no. Oh, Tracy, was your impression the, the same thing? It was um, exactly the same, and I was one of the two people that would have known his politics because we're married and we would t there was very little talk about work at home and uh, that was for a couple of reasons one of which was even though we both had top secret clearances I did not have a need to know what he did so he couldn't tell me and at this late date all these years later I still don't know what he did because I still don't have a need to know and <laughs> when I was working um, child pornography, he did not want to know what I did. So uh, it, there was a very distinct um, line in the sand between professional and home life. So, uh, but we did talk about things that every married couple talks about, and one of those being politics, but we never took it into the office. And one of the things about the FBI is the honesty and the integrity because that has to be maintained uh, in your everyday life and your professional life because you are going to be called on to testify to uh, evidence that you have discovered and seized and how you worked a case. And if you do not have those qualities that you can rely on and can be called upon to back you up when you go in to testify, then, then you have nothing. You're, you're useless in, in this organization and any law enforcement organization. So keeping those things uh, uh, to the highest standard in your profession was not just necessary, it was mandatory. 
Why did you leave the FBI? It was time to retire. And particularly in my case, one of my friends described it about as well as it could be described. He said, it was like I was at a party and I was having, still having a lot of fun. And I still loved the people at the party and we were still, you know, it was, but it was getting late and I looked around and everybody was younger than me. And I realized it's time for me to go home. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, just like quitting a job. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we've known, there's just no, it's, it's time to leave. And yeah. Know. Yeah. And and it's, know. A, it's a very difficult job to leave. You know, you lived it 24 hours a day. We never got our work down. We had, you have to work a 60-hour week. We never got it down below 70. We, you live it and breathe it for so many years that um, the thought of it not being there anymore is tough. It's, it's it's hard to it's hard to grasp. When I got ready to retire, <clears throat> excuse me. When I got ready to retire, I knew there was no doubt in my mind that it was time for me to go. Mm -hmm. And I had just come off a couple of big cases, just gone to trial, um, had done a couple of uh, other uh, non-investigatory assignments, and you know, your gut tells you you know. Well, I had to go to our um, main field office to fill out my retirement paper. And the whole time I'm filling out the paper, I am bawling. Mm -hmm. And the uh, secretary that was um, walking me through the paperwork said, you're not mandatory. You don't have to do this. And I said, no, it's time. And <laughs> but the look on her face was, if you're up this, ups this upset, at retiring, maybe you shouldn't be doing it, but you know, it's time to move on. You have one more final question uh, to end this episode. Um, are you still in touch with anybody in the FBI or any former FBI organizations or anything like that? Yeah, the, the former agents of the FBI, either formally or informally, keep pretty close touch. In fact, when um, James Comey first started getting in trouble, he came to uh, the Omaha division, and directors do that. They, they, they visit almost every division, and they speak to the people. And he put a special word out that he wanted to meet with the retired agents because retired FBI agents sit in almost every job you can imagine. I mean, you know, on top of the security and tech companies, I mean, you name it, there's an FBI agent there somewhere. And he was hoping... I mean, he could sway us with his personality. When I got the email saying that he was going to be there and he requested the opportunity to speak to retired FBI agents, I sent an email back and said, he's a crooked cop and I don't talk to crooked cops. Okay. Well, now we know how you feel about him. <laughs> yeah, we got and that so one down, so everybody else. Okay, <laughs> yeah, no surprises coming up on that one. Uh, okay, we're going to close this out right now. We'll come back with another episode. We're going to talk to uh, Mike and Tracy some more and get some more of their impressions about what's going on with the FBI today and maybe what we'll expect from it in the future. And also, there's a couple of really uh, um, big cases that Mike was on. Oh, yeah, there are a couple, uh, couple of very big ones you might have heard of, uh, Waco and Ruby Ridge. And uh, we might come back. We'll do some talking about that in a future episode. So thanks for tuning in. 
and we'll look forward to speaking to you again very soon.